Good evening everyone, Charlotte here from Enriching Environments for Top Tip Tuesday on Instagram Live. Welcome, it is Tuesday April the 19th and I'm here live in Dubai to talk about the third in our six-part series. Hi David, the third in our six-part series. Hi Jenny on the Montessori sensitive periods and this week we're going to be talking about language um, thank you for everyone who's joining and I'll give everyone a few minutes to come on in and Ramadan Kareem to everyone who is celebrating here in the Middle East and further afield. Hi Nayla. And there's Wiggly's tail, the Enriching Environments cat. She's sitting on my lap as per usual. So this week, um, hi Sophia, hi Sam. Hi everyone coming in. So this week we're going to be talking about the sensitive period for language. Um, recapping very, hi Lily, um, recapping very, very quickly on the Montessori sensitive periods. So Dr. Montessori identified um, six areas of sensitivity or windows of opportunity where the child um, is an optimum learning window of opportunity. Oh, Jenny has said, please turn up your volume. So let's do that right now. Okay, is that any better? Can I make sure that this is right as well? Yeah, let me know if that's better. I've put the volume up really high now, so I'm hoping it's going to be okay. Um, so Dr. Montessori termed the six sensitive periods. These are windows of opportunity where the child um, learns, um, unconsciously absorbs information, everything around them, around um, for them. Oh, hi, Sophia. Sophia says, I can hear you fine. Perfect. Okay, so I'm hoping that's going to be equally as good for everyone. Hi, Irina. Um, so this evening, we're going to be talking about the sensitive period for language. And this, like movement that we, that we worked on, that we worked with last week, the sensitive period for language is the whole spans the whole of the first plane of development from naught to six years. So throughout the first six years of life, um, the child is um, cannot help but absorb language communication um, unconsciously and then later consciously. But it is um, they are literally like a sponge. That's why Dr. Montessori called it the absorbent mind from naught to six. This is the peak of language learning. No, we are not able to, thank you for the hearts, we are not able to learn languages at the um, same ability or capacity um, or proficiency or with ease as we uh, do in the first six years of life. If we try and learn another language as an adult, as we all know, um, it's really, really hard because we're then in our thinking brain. Whereas in the first six years of life, the child is unconsciously absorbing language. Um, and any of you who are lucky enough to live in multilingual households will know that um, uh, very, very obviously that your child is picking up two, three, four languages effortlessly. And that's one of the things I love most of all about being here in Dubai, being here in the Middle East, is that it's completely normal for families to have two or three languages spoken at home. You know, different parents, perhaps staff, you know, household staff speaking different languages to children as well. So multilingualism is really, really, um, it's really, really common here. And coming from the UK, where a large amount of us are monolingual, it just always blows my mind when I see really multilingual families. Um, 
We'll talk about multilingualism a bit later, but what I first wanted to talk about is the sensibility for language and just dive a little bit deeper into that. And um, language is really important, and it sounds really, really obvious, but language is really important because the way that we communicate pretty much sets the tone for our interactions with the whole world. If we think about it as adults, you know, we are all trying to work on our communication skills. We are all trying to um, learn how to communicate more effectively with our partners, with our colleagues, with our children. Um, in any type of uh, social situation, communication skills are really, really key. And we lay this foundation for communication um, through language development in the early years. Um, once we can communicate our needs, then a whole different world opens up to us. And so it's really, really crucial that for our children from a very, very young age, this is why we spend in Montessori so, we, we place so much importance upon the development of language and um, giving our children rich, expressive language and um, offering them uh, an environment that um, is full of rich vocabulary, interesting vocabulary, songs, poems, rhymes, all of those are really, really important in terms of Montessori because Dr. Montessori saw that this really, really was the foundation. And she also saw that children can absorb as many languages um, that are around them effortlessly in the first couple of years of life, that she was one of the first people to really, really notice that in children, that they could absorb you know, if, if a family's had five languages in there, then a child could absorb those five languages and end up speaking them. Um, so she was one of the first educators to really um, hone in on this and uh, talk about the importance of language development. So let's talk about the stages um, now of language development. Our first stage is the pre-linguistic stage, and that begins in utero, because language development isn't just speaking. It's also reading, it's writing, and of course it's hearing. Um, uh, because we can only convey what we want to convey when we are hearing things initially. And um, then we can copy the vocabulary, copy the tone, copy the pitch, all those things. That's how we learn to communicate. So the, the beginning of language development um, starts in utero. And the ear... Um, in the baby in utero, uh, the, the full auditory system is um, complete, the completion of the auditory um, sense is complete by the end of the fifth month in utero. So hence why we're all told to play Mozart and our favourite music to our children in the womb because the ear structure is complete. So our baby can hear from um, five months in utero onwards. And what's really interesting um, to note as well, if anyone who's watching who's pregnant, is that um, the auditory sense in utero isn't just hearing. Because of the baby being in water and, and sound um, is conducted through, uh, through water, so they have a vibrational experience as well. It's not just the auditory sense. There's obviously the internal noises of um, the mother's body working and there's the external noises from the environment you know um, everything going on at home siblings mum or dad singing to the baby and what have you um, but that it's a full sensory experience because that there there's a vibration because they're in the water there's a vibration that goes on as well so that's really interesting um, element to that to um, to bear in mind 
So what we can do from utero, knowing that our child, our baby, is, um, is able to hear from five months old in utero, is to um, start singing, read stories. If there's a particular um, uh, song that we want to associate with going to sleep, for example, we can, whenever we have a nap when we're pregnant, whenever we go to bed when we're pregnant, we can um, sing that song to our baby in utero. And I actually did this with Olivia and Harry. Um, sing this song and then that will become part of their um, unconscious rhythm they will get used to knowing that and then when they are born then you'll be able to sing that rhyme that poem that song whatever it is to them in order to soothe them because there will be that familiarity that repetition that predictability that they've had in utero um, so that's as uh, babies and as i say when the child's born then everything becomes really really interesting because from the very very earliest days you i'm sure you've noticed um, uh, when you've had a newborn is that a newborn will imitate your facial expressions if you stick your tongue out the newborn will, will stick their tongue out back you blink your eyes newborn will blink their eyes back so even in the pre-linguistic stage there is a huge amount of communication going on and um, of course, the main way of showing discomfort as a baby is crying, um, but then later comes cooing and gurgling and ba 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 ba. You know the single syllable that comes. Um, and what's really really interesting is that all throughout this pre-linguistic stage um, carries on wherever they are, wherever a child is in the world, wherever they grow up. No matter how difficult the language is that they're learning. Um, Around the age of one, every child will speak their first intentional word, their first intentional, their first um, intelligible word. Um, and that is regardless of culture, of language, of anything else. And that's really, really fascinating. So this is a universal, um, uh, it's, a, it's something universal that, that binds all, um, all humans, that is unique to humans, the way that we communicate. Other mammals don't communicate in the same way that the, in, don't communicate in the same way that we do, and all um, children speak their first intentional word around the age of one. Um, then between one and two, as you know, it's just the odd word here, the odd word there. They're picking up vocabulary the whole time. They're repeating um, words back to you. There's a stage called um, telepathic speech where a child will put um, start to form sentences, but they're very simple sentences. So it will be, instead of um, mummy got in the car, it will be mummy car or something, or um, daddy kitchen. Or instead of daddy is in the kitchen, daddy kitchen. And then if you've got a toddler, you'll notice that. It's, that's called telegraphic speech. And then towards the age of three, they sort of fill in the gaps. They go from two-word sentences, three-word sentences, and then the grammar kind of fills in where um, roughly around the age of three, they're gonna be able to communicate in, um, in, in simple sentences, communicate their needs effectively. And what we see in terms of Montessori is around the age of two, what we call a language explosion, where they um, just have a hunger to learn new words. And I'm in a toddler community at Monaco here in Dubai, and I'm seeing that with a few of my children now. They're asking so many things to be named. They'll say, what's this? What's this? What's this? I see a picture in the book. What's this? What's this? What's this? And that's a language explosion where they are hungry to learn new words, new vocabulary. And us as, as parents, uh, as caregivers, what we can do is do that. Give, uh, um, 
give our children, sorry, Wiggly's just seen a gecko on the wall and I think she wants to go and catch it. Yeah, she's going to go and catch it. Hopefully it's going to wriggle up the wall faster than she can get to it. Um, so, uh, um, oh yeah, I've lost my train of thought now with Wiggly. What was I saying? I can't remember what I was saying. <gasps> it's completely gone. Oh no! Uh, oh yes, talking about in the toddler community. So what we can do to support our child when they're in these, uh, this stage of um, really needing to know every single word is when you're going for a walk, say what you're saying and give the correct names of things. So if you know the names of the flowers, say the names of the exact flowers, not just flower, but say what it is, a vinca or a frangipani or a hibiscus or a flame tree or whatever it is. When you see um, dogs in the park, Tell them what the breed is. When you see plants, say what the you know the herbs are. Say what the plant is. When um, you uh, any of that detail, because they pick it up, they absorb it so easily. I remember a friend of mine. Um, his son was obsessed with cars, and he would ask what all the different cars were. So he, at the age of two, he knew sort of pretty much every single make of car that they'd see on the road on the motorway just because he was so fascinated and his dad would tell him exactly what the make and the model of, the, of each car, like a Volkswagen Golf or a Ford Escort or whatever it was. And it was so amazing, his um, memory for all of this, because he was just so interested in cars and he was so ready. He was in that language explosion stage, so he was ready for all of that amazing vocabulary. You know, use long words, use descriptive words, use the, um, you know, as I say, breeds of dogs or names of the flowers, names of the birds. Um, from a really, really young age, and that gives just a richness of language that they are completely ready for, and they're hungry for in that language explosion age. Um, so after telegraphic speech, when more words come in, so from the age of three onwards, you're going to be seeing um, more or less uh, you know, simple sentences, more and more grammar is coming in, so more or less some correct sentences. And then at around the age of four, then the speech should be more or less pretty fluent, easy to understand you know there's a stage between one and three where for most children only really their parents or their grandparents can understand only if family members can understand them that well or if they're in the toddler community then the teacher will be able to understand them but by the age of four the speech becomes a lot clearer a lot more distinct the sounds are a lot more distinct so um you can have a normal conversation as it were with a four-year-old and four-year-olds are really, really interesting with their language development because that's when they start to have fun with language as well. Like they, you know, they notice when words sound silly or words sound funny. They love using, you know, words for different body parts and anatomy and find that really, really funny. Um, they love making up words and rhyming lots and lots of words together. Um, so they're really starting to play with language in age four and they realize the power of language as well. Um, they start to tell their own little jokes or riddles around this age. And um, so not riddles, riddles a bit later, but jokes around this age and all around um, usually something inappropriate that they shouldn't be talking about. Um, but it's all very, it's all very childlike and very, very innocent, but they're just learning how, you know, words sound naughty or words sound silly and things like that and rhyming things together to make silly um, sentences. That's something that's really, um, really evident in the age of four. If your child has picked up a swear word around the age of four, then um, they're going to be really, really delighted with the effect it has on people and they're going to be using it a lot. I had this with my son a lot, I still have it quite a bit with him. 
because he picked up a, a swear word and uses it a lot. And because language is such a strong focus in this time, it can be hard to shake uh, once a, once a four-year-old, five-year-old picked up a swear word. But it's all part of this mastery of language. This is what they're really, really trying to do. They, they really, really are using um, language and communication skills. They're past that really, really intense toddler stage where they don't have the communication skills, so things get a lot more physical. And the age of four, you know, they really um, see the power in language and, and can have fun with it, as I say. Let me just have a little sip of water. And um, I'd just like to circle back, actually. I have something in my notes that I, that I didn't, uh, that I really wanted to talk about, but I missed when we were talking about two and three-year-olds. Um, What's really important to note in terms of language development is the age between two and three, or even 18 months to three years old. When um, the child, uh, from the age of one to three, the child understands way, 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 way more than they can actually verbalize. So they have a huge amount of understanding. They probably understand pretty much everything that we say to them, but the communication that they have is tiny really really tiny the communication skills and so if you couple um, undeveloped communication skills with the intensity and the need and the reflexes and the lack of impulse control or not lack of impulse control the undeveloped impulse control that toddlers have and you put that also in a situation where there's children playing together or working together, being in community together, there can be a lot of physical behavior in toddler age. And it is just purely because of communication skills. Um, and they are developing their communication skills. And that's really, really important to know. So the age between two and three, it's already the most aggressive age just because of the communication skills, just because of the impulse control. Uh, a two-year-old cannot, um, doesn't have the ability to walk over to their friend really casually and say what it is that they need. So they pull or they push or they pull hair or they bite and they do all of these things. And that's a part of language development that, resolves itself in time. Of course, we have to support children through that process. But I, what I really want you to know is that within these stages of language development, because one between one and three, they can, they can understand so much more that they can say, they're not able to get the right words out. So this is the time where you see the most physical behavior. And it's because the communication isn't at the level they want it to be at, so they can express their needs. And coupled with that, they want and they need a lot of freedom in this age. They need the developing autonomy. They really, really want to, but usually we hold them back because we um, are not used to giving toddlers autonomy. So that creates frustration. Um, uh, emotionally, of course, they don't have the reflex control, the impulse control, and they still are very uh, reflex in the way that they respond to things. So that's, again, why there's physical behavior. But it all stems from this communication um, piece. So I really want you to be aware of that, that toddlers in community, um, that that type of physical behavior is all part of the language development piece. And to reassure you that what our work as um, parents, as caregivers, as educators, is to really give children the skills. You know, when we have a child who is being very, very physical, it's making sure when that happens, we, 
we ensure the other child is okay, we look after them, and we say to the child that's doing the hitting or pushing, you know, what is it that you want? What is it that you want to say? And we give them those words. We offer the other child, we offer the child those words so that over time, over lots and lots and lots of repetition, they're going to learn when their brain's a little bit more developed that they can use the words that they need to get to get their needs met. They don't have to be physical. But this is a long process and it's a, a process throughout toddlerhood and even beyond as well. Um, but rest assured, it does pass, um, but they just need lots of support with us during that time. And that's, um, for me, a really important piece. The physical behaviour, the, you know, um, when people talk about the toddler twos, uh, the terrible twos, sorry, for toddlers, I find that expression, the terrible twos, really disrespectful because um, it's not showing the complete picture. The child is at the most intense period of brain development that they will be in their life. I think. I believe that's correct. There's more going on in the brain during the toddler years than any other time in our lives. Um, they've got the freedom because they can walk, they can climb, they can jump, they can do all of those things. They understand everything, but invariably they are little people in a giant's world and we are frustrating them and thwarting them at every turn. Um, and so this is why uh, lots of tantrums happen at this time. You know, they don't have the impulse control. They don't have the communication skills. So um, I, I read something saying they call, want to call it the terrific twos instead of the terrible twos. And, um, and I really, really agree with that. Being in a toddler community, I mean, it's just so incredible to see these little people develop and grow. But um, it's not the terrible twos. They are learning to be autonomous. They are developing their identity. They don't have advanced communication skills yet. And um, their impulse control is such that they grab and they bite and they snatch and they do all of those things. So um, it's a per normal part of the development and our work is to support them. When we see that they need something and they're getting out of their skin, out of their body, support them in expressing what their needs are. And that's what's going to move them and us through these periods really, um, really, really smoothly. Um, what else can I show you? Yeah, and during the younger stage, you know, between one year and two years, when they're not yet um, verbal and they get frustrated with us, we can um, say things like, show me, or, I can see you need something, show me what you need. Um, instead, because they can't tell you they don't have the words yet, they will have a very clear idea of what it is that they need. So say, show me, and they're going to get into the habit of... Um, showing pointing what their needs are and then when they point at whatever it is you say what the words are oh i can see you really want a cucumber as a snack whatever it might be so give them those words so then over time they're going to be able to say cucumber or cumber as most children say when they're little cumber snack or snack or snack or whatever it is so ask the child to show and then when they've shown you when you understand give them the words so that next time, over time, little by little, they're going to be able to have those words to ask for what their needs is, uh, let them, to let you know what their needs are. Um, what else can we do? Shall we move on to the support piece? Um, I think that's what's going to be really useful. So how do we support? this incredible, intense period of language learning. We want to make the most of the first six years. The language learning that goes, um, oh, I love that um, statistic. 75% of our language skills, 75% uh, of language acquisition takes place in the first 
seven years of life, six to seven years of life. So that's really mind-blowing that 75% of the language we will use in our daily lives, we learn in the first six to seven years of life. So that is why the early years are so crucial for language development. And let me tell you how we can support that. It's language and communication. And from the beginning, it's just being responsive. And the amazing thing is, is that we all do this naturally. Hey, we are all responsive to babies. You know, um, as I said, as you're newborn, you blink your eyes at them, you stick your tongue at them, and they're going to copy. That's really that beginning of communication that you see with a baby. You'll notice with a baby, they turn their head. When they hear you speak as their mother or their father, you turn your head and uh, sorry they you speak and they turn their head to hear so this communication is really really crucial from the start and it's natural and they absorb all of the language around them so if you are lucky enough to be in a multilingual home then one person one language um is uh i believe the method that's recommended and that's what we recommend to most of our parents here in dubai a lot of parents are um, a lot of families are trilingual here so with the Lebanese community there's French and Arabic and English so what the what families do is um, each parent speaks uh, a different language either French or Arabic and then English is widely spoken here in Dubai so the English is uh, English is added from um, you know outside the home and sometimes staff in the home or nursery you know, um, kindergarten all of those uh, all of those different places so if you're lucky enough to be in a multilingual home, each person um, can choose one language and stick to that. And then the child will absorb, the child will get to learn that each person speaks one language and will only speak that language to that parent, which is really, really mind-blowing when you see it in, um, in action. A child like uh, one of my friend Carla's, her, her husband and her, she spoke in French and her husband Samir spoke in Arabic to their son. And seeing Hani in a conversation, well, his mum will say something to him in French and he'll answer to her in Arabic and then he'll, uh, uh, sorry, in French and then he'll switch to his father and speak in Arabic, like in, you know, within five seconds. It's really, really amazing to watch this type of, um, the dexterity that, that can um, come from. And that's all the plasticity of the brain. That's what's really, really amazing. It's so easy to do in the, in the early years and has so many cognitive benefits and of course communication benefits to be able to be multilingual so if you have that possibility in your home then grab it with both hands and give your child that gift of multilingualism um, as I say um, intellectually it's incredibly useful um, because it gives such a um, as I say dexterity uh, agility to the brain be, to be able to switch through these languages and of course in the first six years of life as I said at the beginning it's unconscious all of this learning so um, make the most of that when when you have that gift in the early years for sure um, what else are we going to say about support oh yeah so how can we support with um, rich language from the beginning so as I said in utero you know sing you know your favorite nursery rhyme poems songs from utero as um, you know you can read to your baby from the very very first few weeks get in the habit of uh, reading poetry to them reading stories to them telling them stories of your day lots and lots of rich language and um, it may seem like a strange concept to be reading poetry to a 
to a little baby, but it's all the absorption of the rich language. They're not going to understand every word, the poetry, but they don't need to. This is all about exposure to really, um, uh, to really expressive language that's going to add to their vocabulary. A richness of language comes from giving them lots and lots of vocabulary to, uh, to work with. How can they express the same thing in lots of different ways? So a rich vocabulary comes from exposure to books, speaking in, um, uh, you know, complete sentences with rich language ourselves, not dumbing down or using baby talk. That all helps. To, and having the things that we tell to our children grounded in reality as well. Tell real stories. Tell real stories of our, of our day. What do we do that day? Tell real stories of our childhood. Tell real stories of our friends. We don't... Um, this is a different topic, the whole thing about fantasy and imagination in Montessori. But if we can really, really focus on what's real in the world, I mean, nature is the world is so amazing. It is what's real in the world. Just explaining, um, you know, the names of flowers, just giving the different descriptions of flowers and allowing your child to explore that in fullness gives such an incredible range of um, vocabulary and experience to the child that we don't need fantasy. There's no need for it in the early years because the real world is so incredible as it is. Um, so for your language development, lots of, um, in reality, rich language, vocabulary. For books, you can choose things that are rhyming, that are really, um, that are beautifully illustrated. So there's lots to talk about and you can convey vocabulary through that way as well. If you've got a really beautifully illustrated books with lots of detail, then there's going to be lots for them to look at um, and uh, lots of you to talk about together, but also books that are um, rhyming. Um, our particular favourites when we were little were Harry McClary and Slinky Malinky by Lindy Dodd. And they are real stories of dogs and cats doing things that dogs and cats do. It's not fantasy. Um, it's, uh, you know, dogs going for a walk and dogs playing in the park and things like that. But it's all rhyming. And the words that um, Lindy Dodd uses are really, really descriptive. She, uh, she uses really long words and really descriptive words. And it's, um, it's just a real joy. And still now, my children love reading those books. We read them when they were toddlers. But now my daughter Olivia is reading. And for her to start reading these really, really long, complicated words that she remembers as a toddler is really, really awesome for her. It's, it's, she's heard these words before and now she's reading them for her, herself. It's, um, it's quite amazing to watch actually as her, as her parent, but it's joining up the dots for her. All of this rich language she's been exposed to and the rhyme, you know, the way that things are expressed in rhyme and poetry and song adds another dimension to our linguistic capability shows our child that there's a different way of constructing sentences it shows a different um, tone pitch um, sentence construction all of those things so that's why poetry and, and rhyme and song is really really important because it shows different ways of expressing in the same language and of course if you're multilingual in different languages as well um, What do, else do I have on my list? Oh, stories, telling real stories. I touched on this before, but what I've done um, with my children when they were little is that we would go through the story of the day at the end of every day. So we would start, we woke up this morning and then what happened? 
and then we would talk through what happened. So um, we got up and then we went for a walk and then we came back and had breakfast and then we went for a swim or whatever it might be. And so you've got a chance for all of that vocabulary there, you know, all the things that you saw, all of the things that you did, all the people that you met. Um, so that's uh, just a few minutes, five minutes every evening as you're lying with them as they fall asleep. So that's the story of the day. But also telling stories of our childhood. You know, if something happens, um, I don't know, we were in the park the other day and, the, and a couple had a, a new puppy and um, this puppy really, really liked Olivia and Harry and was jumping all over them and licking them and kissing them and stuff. And then later on that evening, I was talking to them about how when I was little, I had a great Dane and she would lick our hands and lick our faces a lot. And it always felt really funny because her tongue was really rough and raspy. So those type of things, real stories from our childhood, something that they've experienced during the day that you can link back to your experience in your childhood are so valuable. They love hearing stories about our, our, our child and about what we did when we were little but add in that rich vocabulary element add in um descriptive words uh add in words that are going to think of them then as a four-year-old the words that they're going to want to repeat words they're going to want to get their tongue around they love tongue twisters and things like that when they get a bit older so giving them this rich language from the beginning is such a gift and it just offers so many ways of communicating and the last um the last thing that i've written in my notes actually and i read this uh i read this earlier on it's a quote from um a book by paula polk lillard um montessori from the start and um oh no sorry maybe it's the other one maybe it's the montessori method by paula polk lillard paula polk lillard is the is the name of the author and she talks about how um, language conveys the joy in life. So really, in conclusion for this evening, um, what I'd like to offer to you is in the language we use to our, to our children, um, are we using language to communicate the joy of life or are we using it to correct them the whole time? Are the things that we say to them lots and lots of corrections? Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. Or are we using the fullness of language to communicate joy, to show rich vocabulary, to show the wonder of the world, to explain um, the fullness of our experience, to explain things that matter to us, all of those, all of those elements. So that's what I want to leave you with. Um, language conveys joy in life. And so how can we use, through the language that we're speaking to our children, how can we convey joy? If anyone has any questions, sorry, I've done a lot of talking. Goodness, that's a long one. Um, if anyone has any questions, dive in now, just while I have a sip of water. And thank you, everyone who's joining. Sorry, I haven't kept up with all the, the joiners. I don't know if anyone's typing. Um, so, circling back to where we started, um, language development. The crucial time... Uh, Dr. Montessori noticed that the sensitive period for language from birth to six years old, and actually, as we discussed, pre-birth. So from five months in utero, the structure of the ear is um, complete. So from then on, the way that we speak, the way that we um, communicate, the language that we use is vital. So immersing our child in rich language from the start, from the stories that we tell, and this is regardless of culture or background or education or anything, you know, um, 
uh, traditional stories from your culture will offer such richness, will offer a different way of perhaps speaking your language that isn't used so much, will offer perhaps old-fashioned words, will offer traditions that aren't used anymore, will offer customs. It's a way of um, conveying culture, you know, through poetry, through song, through stories. All of that is really, really useful. So use all of that, um, those rich words. Um, uh, hi, Sama. Sorry, I didn't see you come in. You, Sama's asked a really great question. Um, Timur's not into stories yet. He just looks for interactive books. So we end up not talking full sentences. Is that okay? Um, it's the quality of the book that you are um, offering, Sama, actually, because anything can be enriching. It's the vocabulary that we're using to describe it. And I think it's really important to have a mix of different things as well. So um, something like uh, rhyming stories, a few books that are rhyming stories. I mean, the library is really, really great. You know, when the children were little, we used to go to the library every week um, rather than buy lots and lots of books. I mean, I love books so much, but there's a limit to how many you can buy, right? Um, so rotating what you have is really, really important. But um, offering, have a look at the Harry McClary and the Slinky Malinky book, Summer, because I think you'd really like them. The author's Lindley Dodd, and they are short, um, they're short stories, um, but about cats and dogs, and I know that he loves cats and dogs. But um, the quality of the vocabulary that you're using, you know, are you using rich descriptions? descriptive words are you describing something as nice or are you describing it as sensational are you describing is it incredible are you um, describing it as fantastic so really emphasize the words that you're using that can be a really really useful way of looking at it um, so if you've I've gotten into this habit of um, whenever I describe something I try to use two adjectives to describe it um, and that's quite a fun game to do because that really, really stretches your brain and makes you realize how many adjectives you have in your uh, repertoire as well. So try that. Just try to use um, descriptive, interesting words, knowing that in just two years' time, he's going to really want to be repeating those long, interesting words. Um, and um, Lindy Dodd's books, Harry McClary and Slinky Malinky, um, offer that in a really, really powerful way. There's really, really fun words like um, skedaddle kind of almost like old-fashioned language um but just a, a really onomatopoeic so sound the action sounds like the word sounds if you see what i mean um so any words that are offering any books that are offering um richness of language so ones that are very 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 simple and aren't offering much in terms of um interest for the child or any um value to the child you know i'm thinking and it's horrible to say something be so judgmental about one whole range of books but things like peppa pig really really bother me because it's not offering any richness to the child you know firstly pigs don't talk which is problematic from the beginning but then the language in there it doesn't offer any richness to the to the child of course children love it and they repeat it over and over again but there are so many other amazing books for children that do offer so much, whether it's illustrations, whether it's the language they use, whether it's the, the song or the poem that they use. It's really selecting um, things that can really draw something inspirational from, from the child. Um, 
Hi, Sophia. Sophia said, how do you support a four-year-old with, with speech, uh, so stammer, difficulties in a gentle and supportive way? Um, uh, Sophia, firstly, um, a four-year-old with speech who has a stammer, I would say, is um, completely normal, uh, part of a developmental stage. Um, and again, the this is really a question of um, the child has so much to say, understands everything, has so much to say, but isn't yet able to convey everything all at once. So it all comes out in a jumble. Um, I would uh, say there is nothing to do specific obviously no um no correction and just patience and try not to finish sentences for the child it's more giving them it's sort of like counting to 10 in your head um in our heads so that we give the child the opportunity to complete what they want to um before us uh, rushing in to finish the sentence or finish the word. That's what's really, really important that I've seen with um, speech, uh, you know, slower speech or stammers or any impediments like that, is giving the child extra time. That seems to me to be what we need to do more than anything else. Give them time and um, not finish sentences for them so that everything else can catch up with what is coming out of their mouth. Um, I hope that helps. Anyone else have any questions whilst we are here? Um, so all you need to know, language conveys the joy of life. So what language are you using to convey joy? Um, a quick example from my toddler community this morning, um, one of the little boys, I think it was Artem, first of all, um, he was in our little courtyard outside. We've got a little courtyard with a little ramp and the children like to go up and down the ramp. It's just where they take their shoes off and their steps and they like to go up and down the steps. And they like to go up and down the ramp. And um, I don't know if you can hear that noise. I think that's a really, really loud cicada in the background. Um, and Artem took some of the basil that's in the pots outside and he started uh, biting and eating it. And so... Or a lot of the other toddlers joined in and then we just sat on the floor and started really really appreciating it and my feeling was okay let's take this into fullness and so it was then a full sensory experience okay let's smell it and what can we smell and then let's rub it and then we can smell it on our hands as well as the actual leaf and let's taste it in the mouth and really it almost seems exaggerated to give that language to a child but it's like um it's acting, but it's not. It's acting, but it's real. It's really showing your enthusiasm for life. So language conveys joy. So it's not just a basil leaf, but experience it with all of the senses. Isn't that just the most incredible smell? And um, what can you imagine it on? You can imagine it on some rich, juicy tomatoes. What else can we have? We could have stir it in with some um, delicious tomato sauce. We could have it with some creamy, buttery sauce. You know, all of these things, just adding... Um, language in there to expand their um, expand their vocabulary, expand their imagination. The more rich vocabulary they're exposed to, then this has a direct and this is sorry a very important point and it, that this has a direct correlation 
with reading and writing skills later. So the more vocabulary they have, of course, the more they're going to be able to read because when they read a word, they're going to understand what it is. And then when it comes to writing, this is going to open them up, really expand them in writing. So the richer the vocabulary now, then there's a correlation later with reading and writing. But also, we want to just convey the joy of life. We don't, it doesn't need to be for an academic outcome. What I mostly want to convey is that language conveys joy. Um, this has been really, really long. I'm so sorry to keep you all. I hope you've enjoyed it. Have a wonderful evening. This will go on my feed as soon as I can. Um, last week it went a bit funky, so it might be on YouTube and Spotify earlier than it's on, on live. But as soon as I can, I will upload it and hope the Instagram gremlins aren't being troublesome this week. Thanks so much for joining me, everyone, and I will see you again very soon. Next week, we are going to be doing, um, I believe, hmm, sensitivity to what should we do next week? Social aspects. Yes, let's do social aspects of life. Sensitivity to the social aspects of life, and that appears from about two and a half, three onwards, when they really, really seek to be part of community. Um, I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. And don't hesitate to send me messages if you need anything. All of my online workshops, courses, um, toddler knives, all of my products are available at the Enriching Environments shop. And all of my podcasts are on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and here on Instagram Live. My book will be coming very, very shortly. I have signed off all of the artwork and all of the photography and all of the text just today we received it all so once my amazing designer has done her stuff then it will be with you very soon thanks so much for joining have a wonderful evening bye bye